Really at Jam City, we want to treat the players first and foremost. We really care about their experiences. That comes down to ad quality and what type of ads they're seeing. So we want to make sure that the performance is there. A waterfall management does take a lot of time. The big drawback is the back and forth with networks, obviously the uh, analysis behind it, and not always is the juice worth the squeeze, so to speak. That was Kyle. Kyle is the Senior Director of Ad Monetization from Jam City, and he uses IronSource's platform to automate his monetization and grow game revenue. That is time that is really maximized and could theoretically be a 50 to 100% to 2x increase in overall ad revenue. Theoretically, Level Play just automates a lot of that. That is a huge time sink for a lot of our teams. Want to grow like Jam City? Get the SDK on ironslc.com. That's ironslc.com. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppSlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppSlyer's latest product, the incrementality solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppSlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With, with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest you head out to appsliers.com. What's up, everybody, and welcome to This Week in Games by T-Constructor of Fun. I'm just taking taking over from JK because he slept only three hours this week. So just helping him out to... Not the week, <laughs> the night. <laughs> well, I, I assume that it's like three, mo- three hours this, this month because you look really, really <laughs> tired. <laughs> but we're going to talk about three things today. JK has, has pulled our, some articles. So we're going to talk about Far Flight 84 an impressive and wacky-looking Battle Royale that is heading for iOS, Android, and PC next year. How exciting. Then we're going to talk about Fortnite subscriptions and will they work. And finally, we're going to touch upon Supercell shutting down Heyday Pop after less than a year. JK, how are you doing? Doing all right. It's been cold as balls up in here, though. You know what I'm saying? In San Francisco, relax. But you, you know, know it's snowing in Canada right now. Yeah, it, it's like inches it's like, of snow. Don't talk me cold. It inches under sixty degrees, and everyone freaks out in San Francisco because it's so freaking cold. Yeah, man, it's cold. Oh, yeah. Thank God for my iron sore sweats, dude. Did you get those sweats from the um from the Game Fest package that they sent out? But yeah, I've been wearing these like all no. week. No. <laughs> and by the way, was there some kind of twig or what's that kind of deconstructor of fun swag that I didn't get? Did you send out swag for to anybody? Me? I don't have swag. swag. What are you um, talking about? We're we're like the poorest podcasters in the world. We don't have any. All right, all right. Maybe I'm mistaken, but I felt like I was slighted because I didn't get some swag from some we group. Could, we could do we could do like the uh, the NFL or, or NBA, like you guys do the rings. 
We should maybe do we didn't win anything. All we won is the ability to complain on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) The the major complainer ring. (laughs) Why are you guys working so fucking hard, dude? It's holidays, right? God, I've been playing games nonstop. I'm like, I'm actually having a tough time getting back into work, (laughs) not actually doing work. (laughs) You should see Joe Kim. I mean, he looks like hell on earth right now. Yeah, Yeah, you should you should try startup life. It's real fun. Yeah, fuck that, dude. No way, man. Too old for that stuff. I have been playing Destiny and now World of Warcraft nonstop for like the last two weeks, right? And so um, so I guess we'll go into updates. Uh, so now, like, Destiny's definitely on a backseat, man. WoW is back on top. And I, I forgot how much I love to play World of Warcraft. And I know everyone in this audience is like, dude, that game is freaking 15 years old. Yes, it is 15 years old. Um but uh, I have to admit, the game is actually really good. I was expecting, I was not expecting much from this expansion, to be honest. But um, but the content is pretty awesome. Like the leveling content, I think, you know, it's like the first time I've actually paid attention to the story <laughs> since like Wrath of the Lich King, I think. So I, I would do, do recommend anybody that wants to, you know, get back into it for a month or so, just kind of run through it. If you're a WoW fan, I would I would definitely do it. They basically, they basically make it so much easier just to get into this thing with gear and, 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 uh, and get you up to level so you know the maps are super varied and there's super uh, interesting storylines um there's lots of setup like lots of things to do lots of unique more unique things to do kind of like exactly what destiny is lacking right um so for all that all the trash i've been talking about world of, uh blizzard right like it looked like the world of warcraft team has really executed well so far now i haven't played the end game um and and that's obviously the most important part of it so we'll 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 I'm sure you guys are riveted, but I'll be back to talk about the end game of, of, of that. Um, There's no loot cave, then Eric is out. <laughs> <laughs> well, no loot cave yet. No, I, those guys don't allow that kind of crap. They, they, they hotfix any type of exploits really, really fast. I don't know why Destiny doesn't do that. They seem to like allow things to go, just let the player base you know, explore and, and, and hack all they want. But um, anyway, yeah, WoW does not do that. Um, so that's my first update. The second update, you know, the hardware battle, the data is coming in a little bit across, you know, Europe and some North America data. And Sony is absolutely annihilating Microsoft right now. It is not even close. And of course, the primary reason is supply issues is that Microsoft just does not have many units in the channel, which is what I've been was tracking ahead of launch. But the reality of it is, is that Sony is like taking this absolutely massive lead. I mean, almost double probably the units uh, by the end of the December, I would think. Uh, and I, I think they'll maintain that kind of leadership in the, in the console race uh, through the end of, at least for the first couple of years, maybe three years. So so anyway, that's kind of what's going on there. Um, God, I'm so vindicated. Call of Duty looks like it's down 20%. I was knew it was going to be that. I just, I, and I just, you know, I, I, I didn't stick to my guns as well as I should have because, uh, everything was looking tracking a little bit ahead but it looks like call of duty is actually going to be down and it's going to continue to go down versus last year which is totally counterintuitive given given the fact they have like 50 million people that have played the fucking game because of the free to play and the expectation is that they should be able to grow that if they have that many people playing but anybody that knows free to play knows that getting someone from zero to a dollar is really really hard getting someone from zero to sixty dollars is almost impossible right and so finally, I feel vindicated, but we will see as the data comes in. But I do think that Call of Duty will be down this year. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good about that. Will that <laughs> include I, Warzone? Will that include Warzone revenue? Or are you only looking I'm, at 
I'm only talking about packaged goods units, right? Or packaged yeah. and digital yeah. units, right? So the fact is the new game is selling less than yet last year's game because this game yeah. sucks. It's not that good. And and the people that played last year's game will keep playing last year's game, right? Yep. Uh, because now, that now is, that there's actually like still content in last year's game with Warzone, why would somebody switch to Cold One? Exactly. And it's, it's also really, really uh, jarring. Uh, the different type of gameplay if you're used to modern mm -hmm. warfare because it is a different engine um, it's different yep. gameplay um, and you know I don't really talk about this stuff on the podcast as much because it's part of my business but like the and then and the game itself wasn't that good right the, the single player was really short this year uh, the multiplayer was not really that inspired it only had a few maps that and nothing really new to that and the zombie stuff was like basically not much to that either so it was a short development cycle it was a real challenge for them to get this game out the fact that they got it out at all is, is pretty shocking and then if you have both games installed on your rig it's like 200 i think it's 200 to 250 meg uh, gigs it's like it's huge dude yeah, even i have like yeah <laughs> i have a gigabyte ssd that would cause all kinds of issues for me but actually i do have them both installed but anyway um anyway so we'll see how it evolves so the the big challenge for Activision is is Q1, Q2, right? Where if they don't have the momentum coming out of this launch and the numbers should get worse because of how much traction Modern Warfare got over, over its life, it's gonna be really, really tough comp for the first half of next year. And that's not the way they've been positioning themselves. Um, but uh, shouldn't they just be putting as much fuel on the fire of Warzone, especially now going into next year's game right like next year's at least they'll be able to upsell more effectively and hopefully you know they're talking with infinity war and trying to build up a better upsell from the same engine in next year right like if, well, if i had an opportunity to put more money into cold war put more money into warzone i'll put into warzone all day right right but that's the balancing act they have to do but they 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 can't maintain these levels of revenue without re-engaging lapsed players and this game is not real not not um not taking laps players. But Warzone is, right? Like Warzone is still very, very impressive with the new game modes, all the new stuff that's coming to that game. We'll see how they manage it. That, that's the, the, the the real question, right? Yeah, and it's then, a super interesting political situation of those yeah, two and, and, I'm just and, saying and, like, ugh, Because we're talking, still, I mean, we're not talking, we're talking 30 million units at $60, right? That's that's what they, that's what they have to lose, right? That's a big chunk of change, right? So let's say they're down 30%, which is probably what's gonna end up, right? They have to make that up plus comp what they did last last year, right? Um, so yep. that's not- It's gonna be a fun year. Yeah, it's gonna be a fun <laughs> year for Activision. Um, uh, but actually this the World of Warcraft thing is actually really good for them in, in a way too, because I think that this will compel people to play as well. So that helps them. The, for the first half of next year as well. But anyway, that's it for me, JK. All right, three quick updates for me. First, TechCrunch is reporting that Discord is closing a funding round that would value the company at up to $7 billion. And as we have reported here before, Discord, similar to Slack, started off as a games company, but then pivoted to their app. And Discord in particular, I think, has done a great job of applying free-to-play game industry principles to their business model. Slack, on the other hand, while much more highly valued and seems like they will likely get acquired by, by Salesforce potentially even today. I mean, and by the way, thank God for that because I've, I've owned Slack stock and man, that management team is, 
I would say lackadaisical at best, but just really struggling. It's it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like Twitter as a product where nothing. I have a question. So yeah. is Slack profitable? No, they are not. Yeah, I don't think is so. Is profitable since they're, no, using, they're, they're, I, they're like at, you know, 30 times revenue in terms of uh, market cap or something like that. It's crazy. And I think Salesforce is probably sitting at like 10 or 11 or something. So it's like, it's. Like, I would say that um, I'm just very happy. I'd rather own Salesforce than Slack at this point. Okay, hold on a minute, dude. Let's, let's like, let's be real here. First of all, Discord has no business model at all, right? That's what I was trying to say. I, I mean, say like, I, I, you, can't, you can't compare the two at all. I mean, you can compare the two because they're both losing insane amounts of money, right? And valued at insane amounts of value, right? So it's well, like this. Here's where I would disagree with you on Discord is that I actually think that they have a lot more innovation. And as far as optionality, like the way that I would view these companies isn't necessarily just on their existing uh, sort of cash flow and revenue, but in terms of how possible will it be for the management to add additional lines of business and to change their product, right? Because we're talking about products that are in high phases of growth and that could really change dramatically like there are so many things that slack should be doing in terms of like they've had video and audio for a long time it's more on the discord side that you're seeing you know users of discord actually engage in the audio like slack could have been zoom a lot earlier they could have gone after a lot of other businesses earlier and so not to say that discord is doing that but i'm saying that they've got a lot more potential to go after those businesses expand uh, into other lines of, of business that are adjacent once they've captured this audience than, than Slack does. That's what I'm saying. What do you mean by Discord and audio? Because Discord was originally audio. Like it's meant yeah, right. that's what I'm like, Do you ever see anyone using audio or video on Slack? You don't. Discord, oh, wait, oh, we're talking about Slack. Sorry, because like Discord, I use it for... Exactly. That's what yeah. I'm saying. That, that's the whole point. And with Slack, I have alternatives as a company. So yeah, if I'm going to choose an alternative, I'm going to choose Zoom. Yeah. So again, I not that Discord is destroying the world, but they've got a much better chance of actually expanding their business and making it successful. In my opinion, from a from a management perspective, they're trying more innovative things in terms of applying free to play game principles to the monetization model and things of that nature. So I I I, I, I just don't see that. I mean, I I. I I see that Slack is going after the the enterprise and and they're monetizing on the enterprise with you know with their yeah, their payment the way, schemes. That's, and that's another good reason why Salesforce is a good is a good partner. Yeah. I, I, look, I, I agree. I actually, I, you know, it's interesting because I kind of agree with you. I think they are better off with Salesforce as a part of Salesforce, and yeah. and and I think that makes sense because it's going to be hard for them to scale without like that kind of you know team selling into different enterprise. Uh, but the problem is that what I don't agree with is Discord like has some plan of monetization. They have pl feature plans and their features are amazing. I've been using Discord for like, like, I don't know, like five years, you know, like with our World of Warcraft raids, you know, nerding out. But but that, that doesn't mean they have a plan. Right. So all these companies are being based upon how many users they have, how many concurrents they have. They're not being based upon business model. Right. And so they're going to be valued as they're valued on Wall Street. And if and I guess, okay, to your point, I would rather own Discord than I would own Slack, maybe, I, I guess, from that perspective, you know, in terms of potential, but they still don't have a plan for a business model is what I'm trying to say. Like, they're never going to be profitable, right? They're going to get acquired, right? Or go public and get acquired, right? 
Anyway, I, I, I love Discord. I think they're a great company and they're a great product, but I, I, I just do not think that, I don't think there's a plan for them to go be profitable. It's like, again, I've said this example every single time. It's like um, Twitch, right? I don't think Twitch ever had a plan of actually profitability. That was not part of their lexicon, right? They, they are all about catering to the creator. And that means that no in-your-face advertising, no like, you know, nothing that actually takes away from the creator. And they still, to this day, even though they're the biggest, one of the biggest platforms in the world are not profitable. Right. So um, anyway, all right, moving on. All right. Second update. The Verge is reporting that Google is saying it's got 400 games in the pipeline. For ah! <laughs> I mean, we've, right. we've already talked about this before, but I, I think these guys just still don't get it. A bunch of crap doesn't save the platform. And in my opinion, they should have just invested everything into four badass titles instead of 400 crappy ones. But we'll see how that plays out. Not super optimistic there, but we'll see. Finally, TikTok was given a, repeat, a reprieve, basically a time extension to sell its operations for here in the U.S. And so they now have until December 4th, which is this coming Friday, to sell to a U.S. entity. Uh, given that, I don't know, did, Trump's like disappeared, right? We'll, we'll, we'll see if it, there's any teeth to this or not. Nah, all the pundits, not the, all the pundits. I've heard pundits say that like now that Biden's in office, you know, yeah. they'll be able to reign supreme again, right? China will just take over all our, our all our businesses in the U.S. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's to some degree, it's bad news that, you know, I can't do more fear mongering on like U.S. China app wars and stuff like that here on the podcast now that Trump's out. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll see. It doesn't seem, no, I still believe that there's going to be increased U.S. China app wars, but definitely not to the degree if Trump were in office. But anyway, those are the updates. A uh, quick update from my side. So one is feedback. Uh, also, by the way, I don't agree 400 crappy ones. I'm sure they're good games. They're just not big ones. Anyway, uh, up, feedback from, from the last, last episode, we talked about Embracer Group. And this is anonymous feedback. It's not anonymous, but I'm just not saying who it's from. So, quote, has anyone even noticed that Lars, CEO of Embracer, is paying peanuts for these studios? and lock, locking them into six-year earnout periods. Embracer is a different kind of index fund. From that gazillion studios, you can expect some decent PC slash console successes once in a while. And he actually keeps those studios pretty motivated with earnouts and upside from the stock they own if they do well. So this was kind of like feedback on our rants. I know I, I did the, um, I don't know Embracer too well or PC console business too well. So I kind of compared it to Stillfront. And um, I was corrected with, with this feedback. And there were a lot of things other than this one, but just wanted to share. Uh, the second piece of news was actually, Adam, I think you shared this in Deconstructor of Fund Slack group. Apple hires venture capitalist Josh Elman to help improve App Store <laughs> Discovery. So this is, a, this is a good news because App Store Discovery is problematic. And I'm not going to go too deep into this because we actually have recorded a podcast with Eric Sufert on we, we touched upon this element as well. Uh, <laughs> the podcast will be called Triggered Growth <laughs> and um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come out this week. So we're trying something new uh, since Suford is, uh, is, has, been, um, has been on the podcast and likes to talk about this stuff. So uh, let us know how you like that one. Now, is, is, who's, who, sorry, who's Josh Elman, by the way? I don't know. I mean, 
uh, Josh Elman is the person that is in charge of App Store Discovery. What do you mean? Wait, but Josh he, Elman, a prominent venture capitalist and former what, vice what is president it? of product at Robinhood. What does this have to? How, what does he know about? Uh, why don't we cover it next week? Or, or all right, yeah, I'll look into it. It seems like a, a very odd person to put in, for, in charge of like merchandising on a store. Well, well right? let's let's be honest. I think he has a pretty big team. So he's probably in charge of that team of product managers working on discoverability throughout the app store. So I'm sure Josh is not there, you know, kind of optimizing <laughs> for, for every person. I'm, I think he's just leading the design on discoverability. So this is, I think this is good news. And on the other hand, it kind of plays together with this whole IDFA because with IDFA deprecation and with moves that Apple has been making, they're taking more ownership. They want more power again to the app store and this is part of it so since the more power is moving there in terms of discoverability they're also investing so that facebook is not the one that is actually driving discoverability of apps so i this means that hyper casual is going away right i mean no yeah doesn't mean literally it says nowhere that hyper casual is is going away when they're fixing app store discovery what does that no no this means that since the changes that are coming in with IDFA deprecation, the role of App Store for discoverability will grow. And since the role of that is growing and they, they will again be investing into it and making it as the place it was before 2017, you know, back in the days where we used to open up the App Store and be like, hey, this is a cool game and it's being promoted for the week. Like when Clash Royale launched, it had the whole App Store for like two weeks, drove like gazillion installs through that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, so, so you think you think this Josh Elman, who's in a professional fucking venture capitalist, is going to lead the charge of changing the app store back to where discoverability and and uh, organic downloads are going to be a, a, a back to normal, back to the old days of, in two thousand seventeen. A lot of professional venture capitalists. I think they're great. So I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I think this. I, I, honestly, I'm. A, I'll read into it. I think this is the wrong person, and I think. Like, I don't know how much influence he's going to have over the powers that be. The whole guy. You're like, you know what? Because he's been a VC, I think he sucks. <laughs> so- Dude, you have to, like, in order to get these type of things changed in a big company like Apple, it, it creates, it t- takes all kinds of po- political power. It takes yeah. all kinds of, like blunt force trauma, you know, like it's fucking painful, dude, because the store is a disaster and you need leadership that actually can make changes. Right. And so I, I don't know. It seems like this can be much to do about nothing, but we'll see. What did Eric say? I believe, say? I believe like in much worse. Than let's let's, let's wait until we until <laughs> yeah, the podcast exactly. until we know. I am judging doing. now, right? <laughs> I, 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 I I'm lying in the sand, dude. This is bullshit, right? This is not going to change jack shit. You know, the only thing this guy's going to do is do like keywords. It's going to make Apple more dominant and more more like heavy-handed with with app stores. I guess the only positive would be that they would get rid of hyper-casual. That would be really, really good on my vote. But <laughs> what, what is going on? This is insane. Can we move on to the news? Like, oh. We're still in updates now. right now. Nobody knows. And then like randomly attacking hyper-casual on the side. <laughs> Look, anything that removes hyper casual from the store is a good is a win win for me. I but not even promoted in the store. Like it, right. it, Mo- moving on, moving on. All right, far light. All right, starting the news, and we're going to start with uh, Pocket Gamers coverage of Farlight 84, and they are reporting that Chinese mobile game developer Lilith, famous for top grossing games such as Rise of Kingdoms and AFK Arena, are working on a multiplayer battle royale shooter game for mobile and PC to launch in 2021. 
The game looks to have inspiration from Apex Legends, Overwatch, Fortnite, and Cyberpunk, and quite honestly looks amazing. It's definitely a great looking trailer that they have released. And the game will reportedly support up to 40 player battle royale matches and include a lot of customization, including the customizations of weapons and vehicles and things of that nature. So my take on this is that it's pretty clear that the graphical fidelity from the trailer won't be in the game on mobile. And what the feature, what the trailer features is a lot of pre-rendered cinematics, but it still looks damn good. And I'm sure that whatever does launch on mobile will probably be potentially best in class. But I would have to say that first impression is that the game looks fantastic. And as a fan of Lilith, I'm really happy to see them working on a project that is so ambitious. Strangely, Miracle Games is listed as a Singapore-based games publisher that just actually formed in August, but clearly this game has been in development for quite a long while. My guess is it's probably been in de development for at least one to one and a half years, and I believe there is also a Beijing-based game publisher called Miracle Games, which may or may not be the same entity. Word on the street is the game is uh, based on Unreal Engine. I believe they're probably basically doing the Riot Valorant thing, which is just using Unreal, but then ripping out the netcode for something custom. And the team is believed to be over 100 based on rumors. And I actually know the game's budget, but I haven't been cleared to publicly reveal, so I'll keep that to myself. Uh, from the trailer, clear the game is banking on one really fast action, two vehicles, and three customization, as as well as upgrading some kind of home base. I think the key issue to consider for this game is how much progression will Lilith design into the game and how much pay-to-win will they design into a shooter, which is less acceptable or thought to be less acceptable to Western shooter audiences versus RPG. Anyway, long story short, this game looks badass. I think uh, as Western game developers, we're going to have to watch out for Lilith. Watch out for these guys. These guys have a proven track record of success. They've proven to be very innovative. They've proven that they can whoop some ass. I, again, huge fan of the, these guys. Huge fan of how they run their company as well in terms of their culture and things of that nature. But uh, also, if anyone wants a deep dive on a dissection analysis just based on the trailer, uh, my co-founders and I just kind of uh, sat down and, and recorded just reactions to, to the trailer, which we've got some insights there. And I will link a link to that video in the show notes if anyone's interested in our thoughts on Farlight 84 and some of the details that we noticed from that trailer. So you Guys, did a deep dive like based a... on the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> It's like Joe reacts to competition. Yeah, Joe like reacts all these, to all these videos. <laughs> that's um, like a, one of those YouTube videos, right? Reaction yeah, video. But it, it's also a CG trailer, right? Like it's a fake yeah. trailer. Yeah. Um, listen, I so I, I looked a little bit on on the uh, on the stats. So I looked at Q1 to Q3 of 2019 and Q1 to Q3 of 2020 in the Western markets for shooters um, and mid core overall. So we see the mid core revenues are up by 33%. And when we look at the shooter revenues, they're actually up by 71% for the first three quarters. Uh, and the installs are up by 53%. And then I kind of broke down the shooters to different subgenres, So battle royales, first person slash third person shooters, these tactical shooters, like, you know, the pay to win war gaming games, uh, as well as the snipers. And what you can see from that is the battle royale 
has increased revenues by about 60% in this time time span uh, with PUBG's, Garena, Fortnite, and and weirdly enough, Zuba is the fourth one in in the uh, in the in the um, battle royale category. So they've they really pushed it. But you know those those three first ones make almost ninety percent of the revenue. And when you start looking at first person shooters, the increase in revenue is actually three hundred thirty percent, and that's pretty much all Call of Duty. Um, and that game is is doing extremely well. Uh, the revenues are up now between 25 to 35 million net revenue and the installs are steady at about 8 million a month. So what I'm trying to say here is shooters are doing extremely well. Um, you need to have really, really big scale to hit it off with Battle Royale game. And there's a clear vacuum that has been left by Fortnite with the style that they have very stylized compared to PUBG, compared to Garena Free Fire, compared to, you know, well, compared to Zuba. And um, this game really looked fresh. I mean, it has that same kind of post-apocalyptic, but still very, very stylized, very funky and fun art style. Uh, it's done in Unreal, as, as JK, you said. And, and what we know from Lilith is that their masters are taking over. So they took over the 4X category with their first 4X game. They took over RPG category with AFK Arena, just monstrous revenues from, from those two games. And um, I think they're going to do really, really well with this. And I think it was smart from them to, to use Unreal. And they, uh, the style for the game seems to be the right choice, given that Fortnite has left that vacuum. Other than that, I mean, I'll be definitely playing the game. It, it, looked, it looked really dope. Uh, I tell you, the balls on these guys, man, they're just creating the most, every single game in the biggest categories. That's pretty impressive. Uh, but uh, I, I actually, I kind of feel... <clears throat> that we're splitting hairs here a little bit in terms of the market. Like, I don't know how many first person shooters or, you know, battle Royale or shooters in general are going to be able to sustain in a, in a market like this. I mean, the shooter market's not that big, right? First of all, relative to the other categories. Uh, I think it's around a billion dollars uh, in the West anyway. Um, so without like a key license or something like that attracts people, I don't know. UA is going to be tough. I think on this one, yeah. Um, Eric, let me push back on you on, on that, because if you look at the data for like shooters, just organic installs over the last year to five years for like tier one shooters. So these are like PUBG, Call of Duty Mobile. On average, 14 and a half million purely organic installs. This doesn't include paid. And for the tier two games <sighs> like Critical Ops, Sniper 3D, Modern Combat 5, 2 million organic installs. This is completely unpaid, right? This is all, all organic. Right, but these are big IPs, right? And huge launches, right? right? Tier, tier two, even at tier two level, that's a pretty sustainable amount of organic downloads. Yeah, I mean, no, we're talking like Shadow Gun Legends, Critical Ops, Modern Combat 5, not... Yeah, anyway. <laughs> original IP, dude. <laughs> well, and first of all, I don't think the cyberpunk universe is actually really all that appealing on, on a wide basis, uh, particularly in the East. I don't think cyberpunk has any, any chance in the East. This game is clearly being developed for the West. And even yeah, in the West, I don't think the cyberpunk theme is actually a very smart theme just in general, which is what they're trying to do. Now, it's for cosmetics, though, right? Like if they can go for that cyberpunky thing, then they can actually bring in the crazy cosmetics that they but, need to. But Adam, Adam, you don't have to go all the way cyberpunky. Like you can add it. Oh, like no. Tom, even Tom Clancy did a cyberpunk season. So yeah. it's 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 yeah. really you still exciting. have to hit the fantasy of modern military, but at the same time, yeah. right, like I, I, I would. Yeah, modern military or cartoon, like stylized cartoon in, in a different type of theme, I think would be better 
just generally speaking. Um, but Fortnite's out of the market, right? So they have there's there's an opportunity to kind of take that share. Um, you know, we're starting to see Garena come up in the in the West, which which was it wasn't doing before, and I think they're filling that void to some degree. Um, but there is opportunity out there. But as I said. In terms, the way I look at the market is concentration. And if you look at the shooter genre, it's probably the most concentrated genre out there, right? Out of a billion dollars in revenue, 80% is coming from the top five games, right? And so to bring in a game in that type of world, like you, it's going to be really a, a challenge because you have to scale in order to make it make sense, right? You can't survive on a shooter with like two or three million downloads, right? You need, you know, 10, 15, 20 million, right? And when these games are just dominating that space, I think it's just a tougher, tougher place to commit, you know, to compete versus something like strategy or um, even, even puzzle to some degree. The concentration is not nearly as high at the top. Um, a point on the concentration for sure. I agree with that. Yeah. So Anyway, so if you look at a billion dollar market, uh, 80, 70 to 80% is is by the top five, you know, Fortnite creates like another 20% gap. So you basically have a $500 million market that you're kind of selling into at this point. With, um, high, growth, with high growth. Yeah, but it's not growing anymore. That's the thing. It's, I, I, you have to look at the data holistically. I don't think the shooter genre is going to be growing. Yeah, because you, you just wiped out the number one game from the market, of, of course. Well, yeah. Exactly. You're, you're, Eric, you're going right after Joe's pitch here. I know. <laughs> right on my I know. I don't like the shooter genre. I, 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 I'm sorry. Like, I, mean, I think I think it's going to be a tough space. I think it's going to be a really tough space to compete in. I, I have some numbers for the shooter genre. Like, Eric, you're actually a little bit wrong here. So I was looking at the share of installs and share of revenue. So when I look at the, um, let's say, the shooter genre as a whole and installs, of course, num the four big ones are Fortnite, Call of Duty, Free Fire and PUBG, and the rest of the of the companies take about thirty five percent of all the installs going to others than those four, but that pie of thirty four percent, so it it has increased to sixty six. So sorry, sorry, the growth of the top four has slowed down. It used to be sixty six percent of all the installs, and now it's down to fifty seven. But then again, when we look at the revenue, so I'm just saying like on the install side, the top four are taking less, significantly less year over year of installs from the whole share, from the whole pie that is growing. But then when you look at the uh, the revenue, yes, the, uh, the top four are taking the majority. So the conclusion that I drew from here is the installs, they are going up and the top four are taking less of the overall amount of installs, but they're taking a larger percentage of the monetization of the whole pie, meaning that they're able to to hold and monetize because the competitors, like Adam said, and like you guys said, are, are basically putting out battle royale games that require that 80% 80 million DAU to really make a lot of money. Okay. So you just described a situation that's even worse than I described, just so you just so you know, right? I just want to be clear on this, right? If they are taking less downloads and more revenue, then they are actually dominating the industry even more, right? Making it harder for new people to come in. So this means that. There are more competitors coming out and downloads, they're losing share on downloads, but these pe competitors are not competing because they are losing the uh, revenue share, right? Yeah, and so you're, you're absolutely, you're absolutely you're, right. You, you, didn't I just, you didn't contradict me at all. You actually even supported it, made it even more dire and, and a situation. Well, well, not really. What I, I looked at all the installs that are coming in as well. So all the new new games that are coming in from NetEase and even, even from smaller companies like Zuba and, and whatnot, well, Wildlife is not that small. 
they are relying on a very much this sort of a, like a fair, not pay to win, very, very low key cosmetics derivative monetization that has super low ARP DAO. And they're not even trying to monetize any better than the existing one. So they're coming in against big players with exactly the same monetization model and basically, basically pretty much the same game. So of course it's not gonna work. So in that sense, yes, I do support you. Like if you try to release a battle royale game with exact same monetization model and likely the same type of art style that already exists in the market and has already 800 million downloads, it's not gonna work. Right, I, I will concede though, the market is growing. So I, I will I will pull back on that, right? The market is probably growing at least 30, 40% this year. But all uh, the even... data supports, you know, basically the Fortnite effect. What what happens based on Fortnite? Well, exactly the, the kind of data that you guys have been describing. But anyway, Adam? Yeah, um, I'm just gonna go a little bit into the design a bit. Um, one thing is you're talking about kind of their, their value adds here, fast paced combat. And they're trying to add this, you know, building up a base, new progression vector. So on the fast paced battles within Battle Royale, especially in a mobile context, I have some concerns. Um, the comp here probably is something like Hyperscape by Ubisoft. And I think there was some execution differences on that game or execution issues on that game. But at the same time, like personally from playing like a very fast paced, almost arena shooter style combat, I don't think typically works very well with Battle Royale, which is typically a slower, tenser kind of game. Um, and I think that's why you see a lot more success in models like Tarkov uh, than you see, say, like hyper fast, almost lawbreakers level um, on Battle Royale. We just haven't seen any of those games that lean into speed actually work out that well. Mm -hmm. um, secondly, on the progression vector, so adding this town that you build up or base, whatever, like what's the output from that? I think that's a big question. I think Joe, you brought that up as well, right? Like what are the benefits of that? Will they actually scale and are they going to be pay to win or are they just going to be say strategic options or is it just going to be cosmetics and just a funky way of doing cosmetics? Like I, right now for the video, I hope it's not just like test driving cars and shooting ranges. I think it is something better, um, but it's just a question of like, what are those advantages and are they going to be able to scale? Because if you look at like COD mobile, um, you have all of these weapon attachments that you can unlock. Maybe that could be it. But then at the end of the day, it doesn't really scale all that well. So we'll see. Yeah, but by the way, that's not the only progression vector that we see from that video. Like there are potentially multiple uh, progression vectors that they're, that they're introducing, including, you know, I am suspecting something in terms of uh, roles and classes that uh, they kind of allude to in the video. And we kind of cover that in the uh, in, in our reaction video. So check that out. But um yeah, it'll be. I personally think it's going to be super interesting to see what they do because uh, the number of bets that they're making and the amount of innovation is is pretty intense. And by the way, speeding up the action for mobile in a battle royale uh, is, from a netcode perspective, is a bitch and a half. So, like, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think people understand. If that trailer is true to the gameplay in terms of the, the you know, sort of the APM and kind of like what you can do, like the, the technical challenge of that is a multi-year effort in and of itself. So I'm definitely super excited just to see what Lilith comes up with. And, and again, huge fan. So I, I'm very excited to see what happens. All right, let's move on to Fortnite. Um... So this is talking about Fortnite's new subscription. Um, it's great coverage by the Master of the Meta Group. So if you haven't signed up for their weekly newsletter, definitely recommend it. Um, this week, there was a section by Alexandre 
McMillan, who's also a writer on deconstructive fun um, and actually has like a great blog on analytical best practices. So definitely recommend that as well. Um, and he's done some great talks on battle passes and subs. So um, definitely has a lot of experience here. Um, so now just in the news, Fortnite is offering a subscription. It's about $12 a month, uh, which includes the battle pass, roughly worth about nine fifty, a thousand V bucks. So probably 10 bucks and then monthly co exclusive cosmetic set, which in theory would be 20 ish more, more than $20. Um, although inflated. Um, so overall, if you just think of the monthly value, you're looking at, you know, 33, uh, 34, uh, just considering that every battle pass lasts every th goes three ish months. Um, so the reality is battle passes value is split up. Um, from my perspective, this is, this is a, a great value for players and likely a, a good design change for Fortnite. Um, it just sets up kind of an overall strong baseline value building up from the basis that they have on the battle pass. So this becomes say a tier two um, starter pack. From my perspective, there's no real threat of inflation because it is um, like a limited set. You can only buy this really once and it's coming once per month. And really looking at their cosmetics economy, they have so much inventory and so much value is being created every season that I just don't see the issue of, of um, increasing say a thousand V-Bucks a month because at the end of the day, 1,000 V-Bucks is gonna get you, you know, one shop skin, if that, on discount, maybe one skin every two months, right? Um, maybe a backpack, because Fortnite will just continue to churn uh, those quality skins, especially those Avengers skins recently. So players will constantly find value out of those V-Bucks. Um, so yeah, I agree it's gonna be a strong sub. Um, it pig and I think overall, it just brings up that likely this will be one of the the better monthly subs that actually works. And I will counter Alexander's points on the fact that the market has never seen a successful in-game monetization. He points to things like Apple Arcade being ineffective, which we all know, but this is a very different, like we're just talking about in-game economies um, and, and how you can build up a proper subscription service from that. Hypercasual has been playing around with this for pretty decent results, but overall this has been pretty much a cash grab and a UX trick not really say a sustainable business model. Um, and EA Sports and Call of Duty, I think definitely should be learning from this model and adopting for their own games. Um, EA Sports, especially just to be able to tie in a strong in-game sub and then maybe even tie in EA play or something else. Uh, so hopefully we should see the impact of this from Sensor Tower um, and when it launches. So my prediction is that we should see a sustained bump in revenue and likely it will take some of the spikiness away from Fortnite's revenue. But I guess my question for the group is, do you actually see this sub working, the sustained revenue lift? And then also, is this the right offering, right? Like in, in isolation, 12 bucks a month, pretty good value, but could they have done something else? Could they have done a subscription or an annuity diamond offer and actually perform better? Well, first of all, we won't see this in Sensor Tower, right? Because Fortnite's no longer on the store. Oh, right, shit, I totally forgot about that. <laughs> I'm a little bit torn on this one. I have to be honest. I asked my son, who is my focus group of one, and he's all, hell yeah, I'm buying it. You know, where's your credit card, dad? But um, <laughs> uh, I said, no, you use your allowance. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it, right? Because he basically thinks that getting access to the pass as well as the free skin every month is definitely worth it because the skins, the good skins can be anywhere from 15, 20, $30, he says, which is insane. If he's been spending that kind of money on this crap and I didn't know about it, but um, 
so I, you know, I, there could be some deflationary impact if the skins that are included are kind of like the most uh, sought after. But I imagine that they're going to put the best skins behind the pay gate. But you know, it's unclear as to how how they're going to manage. I think it's, and that's that that is the question: is how they manage the content cadence and whatever to mitigate the impact of of giving away. Um, a lot more value, I think. So general. you can see the skin that they're giving away, right? Like, it's cool, but it's not, you know, it's it's Iron not Man. Wolverine or whatever, yeah, something like it's that. Not Venom. Yeah. Um, so I still I, think that the tiering will be Battle Pass skins, then this subscription skin, then store skins will be far better. Yeah, I think, $30. and they, and they're probably so sophisticated about it and have all the data, and I think they're pretty smart guys there. So they they probably are, are going to figure this out, and it should. I, I, I actually, my gut tells me it's going to do better. And, and you're right. It may actually make things a little bit smoother. Um, yeah, but we'll see. Unfortunately, I wish they were still in the, they were still in uh, sensor tower because actually it'd be relatively easy to kind of like try to tease it out anyway, but without sensor tower relying upon super data just seems like it's going to be a little bit folly, but we'll see if we can get any insights um, going forward. And I do agree with you that like, these type of subscription services make sense for some of the games out there, particularly EA Sports, uh, but it has to be done in a very thoughtful, smart way. Uh, but we will see how this all works. What do you think, JK? Yeah, so I would say that just given who Tim Sweeney is, that I, I actually think that whether the subscription makes sense or not from a Fortnite game economic model, whether it actually maximizes LTV players or not. I, I actually think that they're thinking about this more strategically in terms of seeing what the customer can bear and getting customers used to a certain price point on a subscription type of basis. And I don't actually expect in the future, if all of the value that you, you're paying for the subscription comes from Fortnite, they may try to bundle other things in there and other kind of experiences and things of that nature is my guess, just because having spoken to Tim Sweeney, that they, they think very strategically about this stuff. So that would be one uh, point that I would raise. And then in terms of like, so I'm a big fan of Alex. I, I think he's great, but I will push back in terms of a couple of, uh, of assertions that I think are not necessarily true. So first there was a quote uh, or an assertion where he said, so far subscription is not a monetization model that has successfully picked up in mobile games. So I think there are plenty of games that drive a pretty substantial amount of revenue via subscriptions, like anywhere from 20 to 30% uh, in terms of the form of monetization within their games are from subscriptions. So I think that that is not necessarily true, although you can look at a lot of games and, and uh, you can see that they're not monetizing off of subscriptions, but I would push back on that. And then the second assertion in that post was that subscriptions have fallen short when it comes to providing value to the end user. I Maybe I didn't read that carefully enough, but generally speaking, when you're talking about subscriptions, you're talking about the bottom rung on a three or four tier price anchor system. So generally speaking, subscriptions always provide the most value. So I wasn't quite sure what that claim was about. But besides that, glad to see more content from Master of the Meta and uh, definitely um, will be great to see how this subscription model works out for Fortnite. Beautiful. Do you guys play any games with subscription model other than World of Warcraft? What other games are there, dude? What are you talking about? Uh, you mean games. like pay to play subscription stuff? Yeah, yeah. Well, not pay to play. 
where the subscription is like a big element of revenue like what comes to my mind is the wargaming games basically world of tanks or world of warships they have a very strong this sort of a, like a vip tier system that essentially if you're not paying you're not playing let's let's be honest like after after a certain tier you just have to kind of pay so i don't know it, it worked really well yeah but that's even more dorky than world of warcraft to be honest right i mean in terms of like the type of core fan base that play world of tanks you know yeah so yeah. more broader subscriptions like that i mean i think a lot of these games with like in-game subscriptions where you're just getting currency and 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 vip tiers i think those seem to be pretty successful mm -hmm. I, I pay for those all the time i don't know maybe it's just me I, I focus group of one but i haven't actually looked at a lot of analysis around that to be honest um, yeah I think joseph's probably the most keyed in on this stuff right i've seen a lot of data i have <laughs> yeah. so i will take his word for it that they are successful because they make it makes sense to me <laughs> at least all right let's talk about the last news and that is heyday pop being shut down by supercell so this game was launched in march of 2020 so just pretty much when the lockdowns hit they launched this game and um, it was originally launched in canada australia the nordic and the nordic countries I think those were the main countries, and that's kind of a. I'm just mentioning because it's a little bit different from Supercell. They're clearly evolving their soft launch strategies from not only launching in Canada, but actually taking some other countries. And pretty quickly, they actually open up other countries. So they open up the game in Great Britain, as well as in India, and some other smaller countries. Uh, when you look at the overall revenue numbers and sensor tower for this game, uh, during its short lifetime, it reached net revenue of 700,000. And it did that with, with about 350,000 installs, which pretty much put the uh, revenue per download at $2, which is, you know, it's not bad. Uh, but what was worrisome and what likely caused the, uh, the end of this game is that the revenue per download uh, kind of flattened out after six months and, and was just flat at $2. And when you compare that to games like Lily's Garden, which also has tile-based mechanic and also has that visual decorative progression, well, Lily's Garden was already tracking at a higher point from the beginning, but they also kept on growing and keep on growing as, as it is. So at the at the moment where Heyday called it quits at two, Lily's Garden was already at 3.15. So about 30% better revenue per download. Now, the question is always why? Uh, because, you know, the game looked great and so forth. Uh, well, we actually had a post by Laura Taranto on Deconstructor of Fun kind of underlining what were the issues that from the get-go in the game so the core was definitely great looking and and it felt like an awesome tile blaster um but you know with this type of a cascade game it requires players to plan ahead and there's less of that sort of a puzzle um relaxing puzzle type of feeling because you have to you have to really think more and the other thing why these type of games work and peak is probably one of the best companies with with a tile blaster is that they they usually require a pretty much insane amount of levels because the early 100, 150 to 200 levels have to be very, very easy. Now, in Supercell's case, this was an issue because they have very small themes, as we know. And what they had to do from the get-go is they had to throttle the difficulty up very, very quickly, which is not typical, especially for these type of Tile Blaster games. Um, on the progression side, they doubled down on decoration versus narrative. So they kind of chose the fishdom as, uh, approach versus um, well versus pretty much any other um, 
puzzle and decorate type of game. And when you look at the Fishdom's revenue per download, they're actually super, super low. And only after 47 months do the revenue per download Fishdom go up. And that's pretty much at the same time when Playrix figure out, figures out how to, how to do effectively um, user acquisition. So um, the, the other part, because they chose the, uh, the very sort of a decorative approach to progress, there was no meaningful narrative to, to, lure, to lure the player forward. Uh, and, and essentially you, just, you were just getting, you know, hay piles and st stuff like that and putting them on your farm. And it, it really did not feel meaningful. You didn't understand what you're doing. And narrative, as we know, is a, is a great, great uh, element both in in-game in for, for this type of audience, but also to attract audience through creatives. And, um, and for monetization, they did actually the most amount of innovation. So it was, uh, they, they added the season pass sub subscription model and it was in a many way like a two-folded gamble. So they changed what players were used to buying. And that is, you know, the fear of missing out, buying the last moves. And they asked them to also spend more on a single first purchase uh, than the players were accustomed. And, um, and when, when you do this type of, um, type of a you know, battle pass or season pass model, I think it also creates a little bit more stress because you have to play in order to accumulate what you kind of paid for. And it might work really well in games where you really engage a lot, but in this type of game that I assume players are playing just to you know, relax, it might've might been stressful, but that's my analysis. So in the end, the biggest issue were that there was no story and Heyday is really not a big brand despite having gazillion downloads. It's just a game that came in very early on. It was the best farming game on, on mobile. People downloaded, but it didn't, the Supercell didn't really invest into making a brand around it. It just was a farming game that was, that made a lot of money and was at the right place at the right time. Um, and of course, very well done game and, and you know, all of that. Uh, the game, the, uh, the Heyday Pop didn't have any events. And what Supercell really did wrong that you shouldn't do in puzzle games is they started recycling levels. Again, it goes back to the issue of them having small teams, uh, them probably not outsourcing level production, which is another mistake. And, um, and what happened is they were recycling these levels with, with the seasons and players, those most engaged players qu quickly caught on. And, and that's a huge turnoff when, when a player has to play the same level again. It's not, you know, Eric's loot cave. These guys want to play always new, new levels. And finally, what I think was an issue is marketability. So even though Supercell has all the resources, they at the same time seem to lack uh, some resources as they're, yeah, when it comes to, uh, compared to their competitors. So that is because they operate under a different type of structure, uh, at least previously, I don't know, situation might, situation might be the same now is that their marketing team is located uh, in San Francisco, not here in Helsinki where the game was made. So there are 10 hour time difference between the product team and the marketing team. And, um, and they didn't seem to invest as much in the marketing as the competitors, competitors do and did. So I think this, personally, I think the game was so well made that it should have had a chance to be launched globally and, and grow had they have more marketing support and more iterations on marketability, more storyline, more fun around it. I think they could have turned it around but I felt like now the whole, the focus was just about the product, the product for product. And when the product didn't deliver um, to, to the extent that it was supposed to deliver with, with the high standards of Supercell, they just decided to call it quits. So it's, it's kind of shame. Um, from the beginning, it felt like the type of game that Supercell doesn't have the organization to do. 
and and I think they they didn't want to change their organization to support games like this. So that's my analysis. Huh. Do they really run all their marketing out of San Francisco, like UA as well? Uh, that's been traditionally their model that the uh, the marketing team is located. Uh, far away and it, it works in some extent when you're doing these giant campaigns and giant launches and you know uh, they, they carpet bomb the market and um, but but with this type of with this type of approach like we, we've had tactile CMO here on, on, the, on the podcast and some other people and uh, when they tell about their lean and mean organizations it's very very different than than it is at uh, some of the larger publishers here I'm going to keep this one simple right this was a strategy that should have been done four years ago, not now, right? The puzzle genre is the most, well, by my measure, most one of the most competitive markets genres out there in terms of the number of games that are releasing in puzzle are dramatic. Um, and then on top of that, it's actually the lowest growing genre of the last few months as well, last few quarters. And so you're basically just getting this inundation of puzzle games that just can't be competitive and because of that, the UA cost for these games is an astronomical, right? And so I think it's a simple math. It's like they basically acquired these users for a lot more than they were generating in revenue, right? And so it didn't make sense to move on, keep going, you know? And so it's pretty much that simple, right? Um, so I, I, yeah, I think if they had done this four years ago and created something like this, if they had been the innovator in this category of improving it the way Playrix did and 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 others, uh, they would have they would have made a play and they would have spent whatever resources they needed in order to make that happen. It's just the market is too competitive now for them to enter this space. Like that's it, full stop. Um, so they missed their chance. Adam, yeah, I would just repeat Laura's point from her blog, which is that Supercell's culture of small teams is just countered to what it takes to succeed in this genre. So you, they wanted to be very smart with their approach to content, recycling levels, et cetera. But at the end of the day, the genre is a content treadmill yeah. that demands big teams. Like you look at the people that came up and are dominating now, even late in the game, and they've embraced the level of live ops that you need in order to maintain these types of games. And I just feel like Supercell did a very smart swing at this genre to see if they could solve that issue. Um, but ultimately what players crave is novelty um, and they need to be able to deliver that much content on a regular basis. Um, and I think as well, like when they went counter to, they said, you know, we're just going to focus on decoration, not narrative, you know, Lily's garden, Harry Potter, all these games that are coming up counter this, they lean more into narrative than they do into decoration. And as well, like their approach to battle pass monetization baked into the core. I think fundamentally this genre is not the right one to lead into a generous battle pass uh, because it's just not a very good sinking economy. Things like boosters are very easily inflated, uh, which then kind of break the core gameplay. Um, so overall, like I, I know people on this team and they, they work very, very hard. And I think this game, um, any other studio would be very happy with it. I just think that in order, these guys swing at top three spaces and I think likely um, Supercell is just not the, the studio to go after this type of genre. Joe? Yeah, so yeah, the only point that I would add on here is essentially that when you think about, to your point about their development model, right? So we're talking about multiplayer competitive types of games with 
not a big content treadmill. And so the kinds of open design spaces they could go after are very limited, right? Like even when they built, you know, Clash Royale, there's, there's been some existing model or open design space that they were going after. And so when you think about what they could be going after, like really it's like, okay, auto chess, but auto chess has a hard monetization design problem. You've got CCGD, and you've got like a game kind of like Pirate Kings, yeah, that, that kind of genre. And so like, I would say that the potential for them to get their hit new game will depend upon some new design space opening up that we don't see, but there aren't a whole lot of those left. And so I think that the biggest bet, in my opinion, would be to expect something from them in the CCG market. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they, they they must already be working on that. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. They, they need to hybrid something and and do do what they do right with their polish and kind of innovation, like um, you know, like some kind of hybrid between strategy and RPG, or like a you know simulation game with more core elements, something like yeah, get the fuck out of puzzle, right? I mean, it's puzzles like make, them making a social casino game. You know, it's fucking too late, dude. Don't why. <laughs> You can't innovate around that shit anymore. People are engaged. They're like, they're like into this shit, right? They're building their fucking little, you know, houses and stuff. And, you know, they've been involved. Like, yeah, actually a design home thing. Maybe they should do go, go after glue. <laughs> I think they should take on the, I think they should take on the class genre. I was just joking about that, by the way. Just, Cause I, just, I just think that model fits well with them. Pretty yeah. Well. Yeah. No. Right. 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 Anyway. The, yeah. when, when you look at it from the side, you can kind of see that that if you look at the graveyard of all the cool games that Supercell has killed in soft launch, they're, they've all been iterative. And all the ones that launch have been innovative. So it seems like whenever they go for something that already kind of exists and they have their own take on it, uh, that hasn't succeeded. But whenever they, they come up with something crazy we haven't seen before, that's it. But I, I would argue that's exactly what they've done, right? Clash of Clans was Backyard Monsters. Clash Royale was uh, StarCraft Nexus Wars. I mean, they basically, that, that's, that's been their model. Yeah, well, well, okay. So if you, like, everything is inspired by something, of course, nothing is, is comes out of the vacuum, but I'm talking about iterative in the sense like this one was, like it's, like it's something proven plus one. Well, it was added some, like, yeah, yeah. amount of innovation is what you're saying. Exactly. Like, like with, with Heyday Pop, it was like, we're going to do this, except we're going to change the monetization model to that. And that's pretty much what we're going to do. We're going to use existing IP and that's going to get us the installs, yada, yada, yada. The same thing we see from Smashland, which was sort of a take on, on the, what's that, Monster Strike. We see the same type of thing with, um, with um, what's the, uh, there was this, this puzzly game where where the characters were coming at you, it was kind of like puzzles and dragons, but but again, much more uh, simplistic version of that. Spooky pop, yeah. So so they they've done a lot of uh, a lot of iterative games, uh, and even when they iterated on their own games, though those didn't work out too well, like Rush Wars. You know what I think they should do? They should make a Clash of Clans shooter with uh, <laughs> subscription revenue and a battle pass, <laughs> right? I mean, perfect, uh, dude. Wow. <laughs> I mean, perfect, right? <laughs> 
I don't know. I think they can do whatever they want to do. They, it's such a, it's such a powerful organization and such a powerful company. And, and okay, so- stop, 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 stop licking their balls. Right? They have been unsuccessful for the last four years. How many times do we have to have debate this? Right? Like it's literally like they are in absolute decline. Right? Just stop. Stop, anyways, stop, anyways. stop. <laughs> awesome. So did a great thing with Haiti Pop. We wish him all the best. Let's move Yeah, on. exactly, exactly. Best for growth guys is console. Yeah, exactly. That's what I would say. Yeah, go to console or even PC for that matter. Yeah, plus they've done a ton of investments into other companies, so. So yeah, if you, I think holistically, if you actually look at the market, uh, console and, and digital on console is gonna be the highest growth um, in the West anyway. I'm not talking that's about that's China or Japan. Shit. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, it's true, dude. Bigger than mobile? But more growth. growth than mobile growth. for sure. And it's a bigger market. Check it. Check it out. Yeah. Whatever. Console I'm is fine. king, dude. I'm fine. If it's console, it's console. Let's make games for console. That's fine. I'm I'm whatever. Whatever works. I like games. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Okay. I think that's- I have to move on, but uh, have a good week. Stay out of trouble. Don't work too hard, Joe. Get some freaking sleep, dude. Sounds good. <laughs> All right, bye everybody. Bye.